All right, take your Bible, if you would, to the passage that was read earlier, if you would, Romans chapter 12. It is indeed a delight to be here with you. I've looked forward to this and appreciate all of the music today. What a blessing for sure, uh, each and every selection, all of the congregational singing, the choir, the family, or the mic uh, singing. I just, uh, it's incredible. You know, when you spend a lot of time in small churches and new churches, you don't have the richness of the music uh, that you have when you come to a, a larger church. And so it's always really enriching to my heart on a personal level, and I appreciate that so much. Thank you for doing that, for sure. If you're a guest, here's what I'd like you to do. I'd like you to plan to be back next Sunday when you get to hear the pastor preach. Uh, one of the difficult things of having a guest speaker, and I'm delighted to be here, but if you're a guest, you want to hear the pastor. And uh, Brother Schelling will be a blessing to you, I promise. And uh, let me encourage you to be back uh, next week, if at all possible, to have that opportunity to hear him. All right, we're in Romans chapter 12. I'm not going to preach long, and I know you've heard that before, but I tell the truth. Um, someone said uh, um, there's a thin line between a hostage situation and a long sermon, but uh, you, you kind of figure that out. It's like the, uh, the preacher said to the lady, did you hear my last sermon? She said, I sure hope so. Um, so you can kind of, kind of figure that out as it goes. I, I hope you're not saying that when we're done today. All right, Romans chapter 12, and you've read the text, uh, thank you for doing that, um, verse 9 through 15, but I want you to look at verse 12. That's, that's the verse I want to uh, just speak from briefly uh, this morning. Romans chapter 12, and three words, and these are the words, rejoicing in hope. I want you to get that in your mind, rejoicing in hope. Hope is a tremendously powerful word. Hope. You know, when you're going through a storm, and you're going through a trial, when there's a situation in your life, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, maybe spiritually, maybe relationally, maybe financially, I'll tell you the one thing you need is hope. Hope. And I love where, where he says rejoicing in hope. Rejoicing in hope. See, one of the great blessings of God's Word is that it provides and provokes our hope. I'm not talking about some false hope, some wish that's, that's built on you know, something this world has to offer. I don't mean that. I'm talking about godly hope, spiritual hope, biblical hope. I believe hope is, is passion for what's possible. See, when we're, in the, when we're in the darkness of life, sometimes you're wondering, where's the daylight? Well, hope gives you that daylight. And that's why Paul would write these words, we can rejoice in hope, because God has something else out there. God is alive and well. Amen? Well, we've been singing about him today. Praise the Lord. The more you read and the more you study Scripture, the more you memorize the Bible, the more you hide it in your heart, I'm convinced the greater your hope will be, for sure. Someone rightly said what oxygen is to the lungs, such as hope for the meaning of life. And as you immerse yourself in Scriptures, your hope becomes real. Because your hope 
becomes personal. And it becomes real and it becomes personal because you identify with the Bible characters that they themselves needed hope. Boy, I think of so many. I think of so many Bible characters. I, I, you know, I, I think of Joseph. I mean, if you think you had issues in your life, think of Joseph. Sold, no, excuse me, thrown in a pit by his own brothers. Sold as a slave. Ended up in prison. But he had hope. Hope. Joseph's hope becomes your hope. Then I think about Job. There's another one. Oh, my gracious. Job, you know, the Bible says he loved God. He, he hated evil. I mean, he feared the Lord, and that, that was the reverence of God. And yet when you look at Job's life, I mean, he lost his, his wealth. He lost his children. And what did he say? Though the Lord slay me, yet will I trust him. He had hope. Job's hope becomes your hope. David's hope becomes your hope. David, the king, was, was run out of the palace. Not by some, some servant. It was by his own, his own son. Turned on him. Betrayed him. David. David's hope becomes your hope. And Jeremiah's, and Daniel's, and Esther's, and Paul's, and Peter's, and John's, and you go through the Bible. All of these become your hope. That's why we can rejoice in hope. Because we see what God did in their lives, through their lives. When we get a sense of that, boy, our hope's renewed. Because my goodness, if God can take care of Joseph, and, and if he can uh, provide for Job and, and heal his heart and all of those others, he can do that for you. So maybe you've entered this auditorium today with a burden, a massive burden on your heart. And you're losing hope. You're overwhelmed. You're struggling. You're fearful. You're challenged. Can I tell you today, hope is available. Martin Luther said, everything that is done in the world is done by hope. It's a great thought. Hope. Now, the sad truth is, when you lose hope, life's about over. I mean, the get up and go, got up and went, when you lose hope. In a practical sense. To live without hope is to cease to live. We may exist. We're not living. People need hope. One man declared lost hope is the mortician's best friend. Under that. Solomon said it this way, Proverbs 13, 12. He said, hope deferred, it's put off, it's not realized, maketh the heart sick. Boy, hope. But here's the good news. According to Romans 15, verse 4, according to that passage, God's word was given to build and strengthen your hope. I'm talking today to the person who has an unsaved friend, and you just don't know how to reach them. You don't know what to say. I, I have a, a surgeon friend. He's a Catholic. 
and he, I've had two knee replacements. He did both of my knees. Um, just everything in the world. We've, we've come at him every way that you could possibly come at him. Given him a New Testament, given him my testimony, witnessed to him, shared gospel tracts with him, invited him to church. I mean, shared the gospel. At this point, no response. At least none that he has shared with us. But you know what? I don't want to lose hope. I don't want to lose hope. We want to keep reaching out to him. Maybe a a family member with failing health, or maybe someone's in distress in this building with financial pressures, or grieving over a lost loved one. Hope. A child not living for God. Wow. That's a hard one. Lonely widow or widower. Childless family. Can I tell you today, there is hope. There's hope. It's only when things appear hopeless that hope begins to be your strength. That's what you, that's what you rest in. That's what you stand on. That's what you cling to. See, some people see only a hopeless end. But for the child of God, we should have an endless hope. I say to you, let your hopes, not your hurts, run your future. Because as one writer said, if it were not for hope, my heart would break. Hope. I want to take you back. Just for a moment, go to Romans 15. I I just referred to this verse a moment ago, but I want you to see something. Romans 15, verse 4. Paul said, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Hmm. That we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. Things written aforetime. So in Paul's mindset, he's talking about Old Testament. So I want to take you back to an Old Testament passage. And from that passage, I want us to see how our hope can be strengthened. So turn with me to the book of Lamentations. Lamentations. Now you say, where in the world's that? Find Jeremiah, and the next book is Lamentations. Lamentations, it, 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 it's from a Greek verb meaning to cry aloud, to lament. The book consists of some poems of mourning over the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple by the Babylonians of old. It was written by the weeping prophet Jeremiah. And I want you to notice with me three quick thoughts. Jeremiah, excuse me, Lamentations chapter 3. I want you to see, first of all, the position he was in. The position he was in. So as he was, as he was writing these words, and we're going to read these words in a moment, as he was writing these words, I want you to understand the position he was in. You see, Jeremiah had a perspective at this moment of hopelessness. Things weren't going to get better. Things were in bad shape. Things weren't good. That was his perspective. Some of you today can perhaps relate to that. Your perspective of life today is not positive. Three words describe it. Number one, darkness. His darkness. Notice verse 1, he says, I am the man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. 
He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned, he turneth his hand against me all the day. Now here's what I've noticed about darkness. When you're in darkness, it's easy to lose direction in life. I, I often fly from, you know, from where I live to where I'm going, and sometimes I get there late at night and I rent a car and Brother Joseph, you've done this, and, and you know, you're trying to figure out where in the world to go, and uh, it's dark, and you, you, know, you just don't. It's easy to get twisted and turned around. Sometimes the hardest part is just getting out of the airport. Because I get on that road, and we just keep going around, and I said, it seems like I've been here before. You know, maybe I'm on, a, on the arrival level instead of the departure level, and I just keep going around. Darkness. Years ago, you may have been students, I don't know, Brother Jessup. When in, in, in the college that I served as president, they, they gave gifts um, at Christmas time to the pastor of the church and to myself and sometimes to the dean of students. If, if he didn't get out too many demerits, they'd give him a gift. But um, so they gave me, this is years ago, when, the, when these things just first came out, a GPS. Now, I'm not a gadget guy at all. I mean, no interest at all, in any of it. In fact, I had to get my six-year-old grandson to set the controls on the TV so they shouldn't, wouldn't watch what they you know, shouldn't be watching. I mean, that's, I, I'm no good about any of that. So I got this one. My wife loves that stuff. So we're going to take the first trip. She's so excited. She's got this little thing, and she plugs it in and, and does whatever you do. And all of a sudden, this lady starts telling me what to do. I mean, turn here, stop here, go back. Well, I'm thinking, Sharon, shut her up. <laughs> I mean, I, my mother died when I was young. My dad remarried. I had two mothers. I had four sisters, God help me, older sisters, two daughters, a wife, a secretary, and now I got four granddaughters, and they're all telling me what to do. <laughs> Pull the plug on that thing. <laughs> Get rid of this. But I've learned to appreciate that GPS. Why? When you're in darkness, you need help. Amen? You need direction. And if you're in darkness today over a situation in your life, or you're in darkness about a relationship, you're in darkness about finances, hey, God wants to help you. But not only his darkness, notice his, his depression. And there's so much here, but look at verse 7 and 8. It says, he hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. My chain hath made my chain heavy. When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. Wow. Can you imagine being just like you're, you're locked up, you're chained up, and you can't move, and you can't get out of this situation? You can't break free from this circumstance that's just overwhelming you and, and, and just causing grief in your life and frustration in your life? That's where he was. And, and, and then he goes on to say that even when I pray, even when I, even when I call out to God, it, my prayer doesn't get any higher than the ceiling. Have you ever been there? I have. There have been times I've been so you know, frustrated and so, you know, I, I cried out to God, but I had no assurance that it went anywhere. You know, in verse 2 it talks about he was in darkness. And, you know, sometimes we get in darkness. Sometimes we get in depression because we create the problem. But he said, he, he's saying, God put me there. God put me there. In other words, he allowed that into my life. 
And maybe today God has allowed something in your life that you don't even like and you don't even want. And, and you, you've cried out to the Lord and for whatever reason, he hasn't answered, he hasn't responded, he hasn't done what you want him to do, what you believe he should do. And you begin to feel like he felt in verse 7 and 8, chained, crying out, going nowhere, trapped, alone, alienated. Now, I hear this sometimes. People say, well, good Christians should not get depressed. Can I tell you something? Good Christians do get depressed. They do. It happens. Charles Spurgeon, my gracious, I think when you look through the corridors of time, and you look for a, a, a godly pastor, a godly man of God, I, I, I don't know that you're going to find many uh, that would excel him in, 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 in so many ways. This is just part of his testimony. He said, I am a man, I am the subject of depression of spirits so fearful that I hope none of you gets to such extremes of wretches, wretchedness as I go to. That was Spurgeon. Well, I want to tell you, if Charles Spurgeon can suffer depression, I think anybody else can. It's a battle. It's hard. So we see darkness, we see depression, then we see desperation. Look at verse 19. Excuse me, verse 18. And I said, my strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. So the perception he had was so overwhelming, and it was so real, and it was so penetrating, that he said, my strength is gone. My hope is gone. I don't feel like I can face another day. I don't feel like I can take another step. I don't think I can pray another prayer. I don't think I can read another verse. I am depleted. I am empty. Something is gone. It's been said most men or people lead lives of quiet desperation. I remember when I pastored. I've been out of serving as a pastor for many years now. But when I did, every Sunday, I'd stand as your pastor did today in the foyer of the church, and I'd greet people before and after. I'd shake hands. Hundreds of them in, hundreds of them out. How you doing? Here's what I heard. Wonderful. How you doing? Great. How you doing? I'm on the mountaintop. Person after person after person. And it dawned on me, either I am pastoring the, the most spiritual congregation in the world or the biggest pack of liars that ever came on a Sunday. I mean, folks, it's, we're, we're not always on the mountaintop. We're not always where we want to be. Sometimes we're hurting, sometimes we're struggling, sometimes it's challenging, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes we don't understand. That's exactly what his perception was. So I want you to see, secondly, what does he do? The path he followed. Not only the position he was in, but the path he followed. I'm happy to tell you today, this is not a cliché, this is not some cute little thing to stick on the wall. This is reality. The Bible has the answer. The Bi if I didn't believe that, I'd quit preaching. If the Bible didn't have the answer, but I'm looking for the answer. But I know God has the answer. And this book is God's word. 
The Bible has the answer. Four steps. Four steps. Number one, he looks to God. He looks to God. Now look at uh, verse 21. It says, this I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. Now, verse 18, he said, my strength uh, and my hope is perished from the Lord. Now he says, I recalled something I remembered now. I have hope. Well, then you remember verse 22. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. And this is what I think he remembered. Because his compassions fail not. Wow. Now hear me for a minute. In the, first, in the first 35 verses of this chapter, there are no, excuse me, the first 20 verses of this chapter, there are no fewer references to himself than 35 times. 35 times in 20 verses, he referred to himself. For example, look at verse 1, I am the man. Verse 2, he hath led me, he hath brought me. Verse 4, my flesh, my skin, my bones. Verse 5, on and on. 35 times the spotlight is on himself. Can I tell you today, you're never going to get better if you keep looking at yourself. If you keep looking at your situation. If you keep looking at your ability. If you keep looking at your own skill set. Or you keep looking at your own mindset. You're never going to get better. And then it was like all of a sudden he remembered. God brought it to his heart. Oh my goodness, he says, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have, have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Aren't you grateful for a compassion of God? And you know, that compassion comes out when we're at our lowest. When we're broken. When we're struggling. When we're, when we're at, at, at that point where we want to give up. That's when God's compassion just sets in. Corey Tenboom. If any woman knew affliction, she surely did. If you've ever read The Hiding Place and heard her story and testimony. But she made this statement. She said, If you keep your eyes on the world, you'll be distressed. If you keep your eyes on self, you'll be depressed. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll be at rest. And I'm telling you, when, when we're losing hope, maybe in our marriage, maybe in other relationships, maybe in our Christian walk, maybe in our finances, maybe in our health, hey, guess what? We've got to get our eyes back on the Lord. We've got to focus on his mercies. We've got to focus on his compassions. We've got to focus on who he is. But if we, keep, if we keep, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, woe is me, we're never going to dig out of that hole. Things aren't going to change. We have, to, we have to turn it over to God. We have to trust in him. We have to rest in him. We have to count on him. We have to depend upon him. By the way, God can do what only God can do. I mean, sometimes we, it's like, what I struggle with is, is sometimes believers get frustrated with unbelievers because they don't act like Christians. Can I tell you, unbelievers are not going to act like Christians. But I also get frustrated when Christians act like unbelievers. As if God's not real, as if God's not there, as if God doesn't care, as if God doesn't have mercy, if God doesn't have compassion, if God's not going to step in and do something for us. Look what he did for Joseph. Look what he did for Job. Look what he did for David. Look what he did for so many characters in Scripture. He's no respecter of persons. So he looks to God. Number two, he leans on God. 
Verse 21. Or excuse me. Yeah, verse 22, I'm sorry. It is the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. He, he leans on that which cannot fail rather than leaning on that which will surely fail. You know, if we depend on our strength and our wisdom and our ability, we're not going to go anywhere. It's the Lord. It's him. It's him. So he looks to God. He leans on God. But then thirdly, he learns from God. He learns from God. What does he learn? Verse 23, they, mercy and compassion, are new every morning. Great is thy, that is, God's faithfulness. He learned the lesson. Can I help you today? God is faithful. Now, God doesn't operate on my timing or your timing. But God's timing is perfect. God's faithful. God's so faithful. Many of us are living without hope because we're not receiving every day the freshness of this book in our lives. We've gotten so tired, we've gotten so weary, we've gotten so overwhelmed, we've gotten so frustrated that we've just kind of reduced our prayer life and shut up the Bible. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. You want hope? You've got to learn the lessons from God. But here's the point I want you to get. He says, every morning, it's a day-by-day situation. You can't just come to the church house on Sunday, get filled up, and hope that it works all week long. It doesn't work that way. You need it every day. I'm reminded back to Exodus 16. The children of Israel under Moses are going through the wilderness. They get hungry. They want something to eat. God says, I'll send you manna. You can deep fry it. If you're in the south, you can deep fry it. You can boil it. You can grill it. You can bake it. You can eat it raw. You can do whatever you want, but this is what you're getting, manna. But here's the rule. Don't take on Monday what you're going to need for Tuesday. Trust me for Tuesday. I'm faithful. And get what you want on Tuesday, but don't take for Wednesday. I'll take care of Wednesday. I'm faithful. And you know, I think we as Christians have kind of lost sight of that. We want something instantly. We want it now. We want it at our timing. And God is saying, no, 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 no. Trust me. I am faithful. Faithful. And so I'm going to give you today what you need today to get through this, to get over this, to work beyond this. But don't jump ahead of me. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. So he looks to God. He, he leans on God. He learns from God. But then the fourth thing is he lives through God. Oh, my gracious, look at verse 24. He says, the Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The Lord is good unto them that wait for him. Are you waiting? To the soul that seeketh him, are you seeking? It is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Boy, look at these verses. The Lord is my portion. You know, that word portion means allotment. It, 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 it's what we need. It's what God will give to us. When I grew up, my dad was a, a, a truck driver. 
And he worked hard. I mean, they were long days, and um, he didn't make a lot of money, and we had a lot of kids. So when dinner time came, we got an allotment. We got a portion. It's not like today when you ring the dinner bell and everybody runs to the minivan. I mean, it's different. And so dinner came around. We got this portion. Now, that wasn't a whole lot with those portions. I moved on to bigger portions, that's for sure. <laughs> Back where we went last night, I, I had too much portion last night. But you understand, here, here's my point. God knows exactly what it takes to keep you going. When my dad plopped down that portion, we got what we needed to, to live, to survive physically. This is how much food it's going to take to keep these kids alive. And God knows exactly what it's going to take in my life and your life to keep us alive. Sometimes we want more. We want it quicker. We want this. We want that. Hey, slow down. Trust the living God. He's in charge. He knows. He's right. So in verse 24, the Lord is my portion. And then it says, the Lord is good unto them that both wait for him and the soul that seeketh him. Hey, are you seeking God about this issue? Hey, I'm not talking about, you know, this, this one, two, three, uh, lickety split kind of a prayer. Oh, God, bless me. Do this, do that. And by the way, do it now. I, that's, not, that's not seeking God. No. When Paul had that thorn in the flesh, he went before God, and he went before God, and he went before God. It was a burden. It was a need in his life. We should have that tenacity, that faithfulness, that dedication to seek him, maybe at a church altar, maybe in the privacy of our own home, but to seek him and to trust him. Then he goes on in verse 26, it is good that a man should both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Now, now biblically, that word salvation has kind of a dual meaning. The, the, the simplest meaning, the, the lightest of those meanings, is when God delivered. He, 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 it's, it's a word that means deliverance. He would save a city. He would save a people. He would save a, a, a nation. He would, he would rescue them from harm. That's salvation. When Peter was walking on the water, what did he do? He, he saved Peter from drowning. He saves. But the best meaning is something deeper. It's not saving us from a circumstance that's uncomfortable from a problem that's pressing us. Although God often does that. That's why we have hope. But you understand salvation speaks about our eternal destination. Saving us from this world. This life. I love the song, if I sang it, you would run out the door, so I'm not going to sing, but this world is not my home. You know that one? Yeah, this world's not my home. There's something better for us. It's called heaven. It's called forgiveness. It's having a relationship with God Almighty through his only begotten son, Jesus. And we're saved from our, from our sinfulness. We're saved from that, 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 that wicked, vile nature that we have. Oh, my gracious, for me, I was an eight-year-old kid. Rode a bus to Sunday school. My wife rode the bus. She sat right behind the bus driver smiled and greeted every kid that got on the bus. I sat in the back and I terrorized every kid that got on the bus. 
There's not a person, I promise you, there's not a person in the Sunday school, uh, the, the, the programs that we had for kids, any of that, children's church, whatever, that would ever believe I'd be doing this today. That's what salvation can do. It can change a life. It gives you a new destiny. It gives you a new home. It gives you a new relationship. But you've got to understand, it's not through uh, our works of righteousness. It's not because we come to church. It's not because we plop money in the offering plate. It's not because we've been baptized. It's not because of whatever. It is only through the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus was talking about heaven in John 14, what a great passage. And then Thomas spoke up. We call him Doubting Thomas. And, 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 and he listened to Jesus talk about heaven. I go to prepare a place for you. Wonderful place. He said, I will come again. And then Thomas said, well, how do we know the way? I'm glad he asked the question. How do we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, Amen. the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Amen. You see, Jesus Christ left the glory of heaven, came to this sin-sick world, died on an old rugged cross. Amen. By the way, he shed his blood for you and for me. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. There's no amount of money, there's no amount of talent, there's nothing we can give God that will make it right. Jesus did what he did. For all of us, we have to recognize that. We have to understand that. We have to receive that. We have to trust in that and only in that. Oh, aren't you thankful today? Salvation. And I say to you today, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I don't mean know about him. I don't mean just being a Baptist. I'm, I'm a Baptist. I'm proud to be one. You know the history. You, you'd be proud too. Someone said, what would you be if you weren't a Baptist? I said, ashamed. I'm, I'm a Baptist. But I promise you, I'm not getting to heaven because I'm a Baptist. Amen. I had a man say to me, he says, you know, you Baptists are all the same. You think, he said, you think only your people are getting in. I said, I don't think some of mine are going to make it. <laughs> because if all we're doing is trusting a baptismal certificate... No. Membership certificate, no. It's a personal relationship with Jesus. That's salvation. And you want, you, want your, you want your life to change? Invite Jesus to be your Savior. Oh my gracious, that's what it's all about. It is good for a man that he both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. If you don't know Christ, can I, can I challenge you? Invite him into your life today. The position he was in, the path he followed, and very quickly, the promise he claimed. Look at verse 31 and 32. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, in other words, God allows these problems and these stresses and pressures into our life, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. Hey, folks, there's a day, there's, a, there's, there's coming an end. That, that, that's what we depend on. The psalmist said in Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. The writer of Hebrews declared that hope is the anchor of the soul. When the storms rage, hope is the anchor of the soul. So no matter how strong the storm, or how deep the valley, or how dark the night, 
or how lonely the road, how big the problem, or how fierce the enemy. There is hope with God. Hope never abandons you. So can I challenge you? Don't abandon hope. Trust the Lord. Would you pray with me? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. I wonder today if there's anyone hearing my voice who would say, Preacher, I'm kind of going through that darkness right now. There's something in my life, maybe with my marriage, maybe with my kids, maybe with my health, maybe with my finances. There's just, there's, there's just, there's just something there that's causing me anxiety and pressure. Would you pray for me today? Just slip that hand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you. I see hands all through this building. Hold them up. God bless you. God bless you and put them down. In a moment when we have the invitation, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to find your way to an old-fashioned altar. Greatest decisions I ever made in my life, I made at a church altar. When I came and I just sought the Lord, where I turned the thing over to God, where I called upon him to help me, to guide me, to strengthen me, to encourage me, to give me hope. But I wonder, secondly, is there anyone with us today who would say, Preacher, I don't know if I died today if I'd go to heaven or hell. I really do not know. I'm confused. I know I don't want to die and go to hell. I know that. Would you pray for me today? Just slip that hand up. I need Jesus. That's your testimony today? You need Jesus. Anyone? You need to trust him. Depend upon him to take you to heaven. Forgive your sin. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Would you stand? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And I'm going to pray, and when I'm finished praying, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. And as soon as we begin to hear that music and sing, whatever it is, I'm going to invite you, if you lifted your hand and said, pray for me, I want you to find your way here at this altar. Would you do that? And would you come and just ask God to lift that burden, to give you insight? Would you, would you wait for him to solve this, to deal with it, to show you what he wants you to learn through this situation? Would you do it today? And even if you did not lift your hand, secondly, for your need of Christ, but if that's your need, I beg you, would you come today? And let's trust him. Dear God, today we thank you so much for the opportunity to be here in this place and in this church. But God, I know there are hurting people. I know that. And God, hands have been lifted all through this building. Some maybe relationally, some financially, some with their health, some with other issues. God, help them to come and wait upon you and seek you and turn to you and get their hope renewed. Oh God, please do that. If there's anyone here without Jesus, may they come and let us open a Bible and show them how to become God's child. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.